Hello, I'm the Promo Guy coming at you from New York City. Today is Thursday, April 13th, but you'll be listening to this Friday at the earliest. Welcome to the first episode of the Promo Guy podcast. I'm really excited for this to start. I'm joined by Nick from Blue Duck Media, who've been instrumental in helping us get started. We've got a really great show lined up. We're taking a deep dive into the boost buster from Beantown. Jason Tatum has become notorious for letting down betters, but has he really been as bad as it seems? And today's big thought, we'll dig into the Tyus Jones, point, Tyus Jones points bet controversy. But first, what's going on, Nick? Yo, what's going on? How are we? Never better, never better. Really excited to get going here. Thank you for all your work. And I'm excited for everybody to uh, get to know you a bit. Yeah, it's, it's been a quick eight weeks since we met each other. And for this to finally be coming together, uh, I'm excited to ask you some stupid questions. I'm excited to learn. I think we're going to have a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. This is, uh, I think people are going to enjoy it a lot. You know, obviously we started with the, the Twitter spaces and been doing that for a few years, but I think that this will be, you know, a big step up from those. So I'm, I'm excited for everybody to, to hear it and for us to get started. Let's do it. I'm excited to make some money. Well, unfortunately <laughs> for you, you're in California, so you won't make any money, but you're excited to help people make money, right? That's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> Let's jump in. What do we got today? Yeah. So first I want to uh, do kind of the thing that we've always done in any of the spaces or anything like that, which is just sort of give a lay of the land, talk about how we've been doing. And luckily this is a very positive update. Uh, I ran the numbers yesterday and we were up $1,500 on the Twitter account in March. It was also a really profitable month for the Discord. Uh, Official plays were up a lot. We did really well on... You know, various things, MGM parlays were maybe probably the, the big one. And April's off to a really hot start as well for, for both. Uh, we had some big hits recently, John Rahm, the Masters. Uh, we had the UConn win. We've, you know, it's, so it's been a, a really strong uh, bit. In it. And then last week, we or really last night was where most of it unfolded. We did a nice job with the NBA play-in uh, FanDuel promo, which were up on before uh before the free bets come in and before eighth play happens so all good things uh i would say overall i'm really happy with the promos that i've seen out there last month we had the march madness promo obviously it went very well and was kind of a big driver in our in our big month uh last month and this month we've already had the the play in promo caesars has been consistent DraftKings has been consistent they keep doing these no sweat promos we had the Champions League boost yesterday that went well. And there's just been a really steady stream. The gift, obviously, uh, was plus 100. Usually, it's minus 110. So, that was cool to see. And overall, I've just been really happy in sort of this post-NFL world with all the promos that we've been getting, even post-March Madness. So, I hope they keep it up. I know a lot of people complain about the $10 limits on DraftKings. But given sort of the 4 to $5 EV, you know, 40 to 50% EV on those kind of no sweat plays. I think that, uh, and really it's probably a little bit, eh, that's probably about right. Uh, that, you know, that's very similar to a $50 FanDuel boost. That's, you know, eight to 10% EV. So I'm very happy with everything I've seen there. I would say that I just kind of hope it keeps up. Last year we saw when it kind of got into the heat of summer, NBA was done. March Madness was obviously done. There was no NFL, DraftKings and Caesars went away. I'm hoping that they've spartaned up on that, especially with all the market share they lost. And we continue to see these kinds of promos for the next few months heading into football. Listen, sounds like you're happy. And when you're happy, 
I think that means that you've got a lot of followers that are happy. So keep it up. Absolutely. Um, well, next up, we've got our gambling landscape update. This is going to be our space where we're going to be updating our listeners on everything that's new, what sports book are, sports books are offering, how that affects the big guys, what promos we expect to see more of, and just a general glimpse of the landscape. So I know there may be more you want to cover, but from my point of view, the most interesting thing you've shown me this week is FanDuel limiting Dinger Tuesday to 50 bucks. Uh, what, what's going on there? Yeah, that's definitely the most interesting thing that's going on kind of in the promo space other than you know a lot of what I just got into, uh, just general positive stream of promos. Uh, so Dinger Tuesday, uh, for those who don't know, this is the best promo around. Uh, it has been for the last few years. What the promo is, is you bet $25 on a player to hit a home run. And whether they do or do not, you get $5 for every home run hit in the game. Uh, that started off two years ago. It's like credit. Last year, they moved it to free bets as FanDuel kind of moved everything to free bets. And now this year, instead of being able to bet every game on the slate uh, in a given Tuesday, we now, well, I'd say probably three quarters of people are now limited to $50 total in free bets in a given day. So 10 home runs. From an EV perspective, each game is about the same. In fact, you actually get to be a lot pickier. So the EV percentage might be higher per, per bet that you make. But overall, it's a lot lower, right? We made $6,700 in the last two years on, on Dinger Tuesday promo. It's going to be less this year than the $2,800 we made last year if you are $50 cap because, well, instead of getting $150, let's say on average in free, be- in free bets in a given Tuesday, you're now stuck with 50 and that's where most of the EV of the, the promo comes from. I would say probably the EV in total is about 40% of what it was, you know, just because you're going to end up with about a third of the free bets, but you get to be a little pickier. So you get to pick the best home run lines out there on the slate, maybe higher total games. My personal strategy for it that I've employed in the Discord is, you know, the first week I did, there were five really good bets. And I felt like given the totals in those games, it made sense to to use five games. And then if we were a little bit behind heading into the night slate, that I would just add another pick. That wasn't necessary. The picks went very well. I think we hit uh, two of them for like a $140 profit on, on just the home run bets. And this, this week I did the same thing, but I, I limited it to only four games. And that was because we had a, a really high over-under in the Cubs game. We had a really high over-under in the Rockies game. And just in general, looking at the those picks, I thought we would only need four. There weren't a ton of good lines out there yesterday. So I didn't want to add unnecessary VIG if we were, if we were only going to need four games to hit the $50 bonus. That ended up being true. Unfortunately, those went 0-4. But it is pretty great sort of bigger picture whether they hit the home run or not when you only need to bet $100. Like for people that are kind of down the promo, you only, we only need to bet $100, risk $100, and we have an automatic $50 in free bets. The best way to think about the EV kind of per pick and you know why we've had so much success with this promo is let's say you have Aaron Judge home run odds at plus 300. And because you get to pick the best odds on you know relative to other books on FanDuel of the 18 players in the game and especially when it's capped, you get to sort of pick 
the four guys in the entire slate that have the best odds relative to other books. Uh, hopefully that plus 300 is decent to begin with. So let's say we've judged plus 300. And then we assume there's going to be, call it two home runs in a given game. Usually it's more like, I think the numbers are about two and a quarter. But let's just say $2 to make it easy. So we're expecting $10 in free bets no matter what. And let's say we convert those. We do a decent job, which is pretty consistent with what we usually find. Usually, honestly, it's a little bit higher than 80%. But let's say it's 80% to keep the math easy. So instead of risking $25, we do on our home run bet, we're really risking about $17 because we're expecting $8 back on, on the given pick. And then instead of to win, you know, 25 times three, so $75, we're really expecting to win about $83, right? Because we're getting those free bets no matter what. So instead of thinking about this as a 25 to win $75 normal plus 300 bet, we're really doing... $17 to win 83, which is 488. So already the plus 300 should be decent because you get to pick your four to five, whatever best picks in the whole slate, but we turned it into plus 488 and that becomes a really high EV play. And that's why we've had so much success with this in the past and why it's such a great promo. So the extra $8 that you're accounting for on both sides of EV because you get the free bet, that's what you're expecting to get in free play. So I'm expecting to get ten dollars in free bets because we get five dollars. But you factor it in. But you only factor in eight dollars of it because you can't guarantee the free play turns into real money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the free bet isn't worth quite the te- the full ten dollars because it's hard to convert those at a hundred percent. And really, we can get into free bets maybe another time. But uh, it's the implied probability your bet wins times the odds you're getting. And to think about it really simply, if you bet it on a plus 100 and you have a 50% chance of winning that plus 100, half the time you're going to convert at 100%. Half the time you're going to win that plus 100 and half the time you're going to lose. So that would be a 50% conversion. But if you get into much longer odds and you're able to still get relatively fair value, so let's say you have a 10% plus 900 type play, 10% of the time on your $10 free bet, you're going to win. $90. So that would be $9 of EV or free bet conversion on your $10, right? So 10% times the nine, $9. So that would be 90% conversion. For argument's sake with this, I did 80% uh, conversion. But that's kind of the reasoning why you'd want to use it on longer bets. And like I said, kind of where the EV of the promo comes from. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's well, well explained. Yeah, I I don't think I have any more questions on the, on that. I think we can move on to the wheel of sports if you if you don't have anything else to cover during your Tuesdays. Awesome, I love the wheel of sports. So for people who don't know, uh, we basically have eight or so sports topics that we put up on a wheel. Nick spins it, and we talk about you know one or two of them or three of them. This is just a way to sort of get my thoughts on what's going on in the sports world. Nick will give his thoughts as well, and you know, just sort of break up some of the gambling talk with more sports-specific talk topical today. So, Nick, why don't we spin that wheel? Yeah, let's give it a spin. Ooh, all right. Uh, today, we get the Rays. They've started the MLB season on an absolute tear, 12-0 and so far. And if they win tonight, they'll tie the record for the longest winning streak to start a season in the MLB history. How long can they keep this up? Well, I haven't looked at their schedule. I know it's been really light to start. So, you know, they're big favorites tonight. 
they're obviously doing very well. I think it's kind of interesting if I pull up, let's say, FanDuel. They are still plus 1,000 to win it all. One, two, three, four. Four teams are above them, and then I guess the Padres are tied with them. So what that kind of says to me is not that long, that they're, you know, they're obviously not this crazy juggernaut, even though I think they've covered minus one and a half every night but one. Uh, so obviously some of it has to do with schedule. Obviously some of it has to do with just sort of general variance. And then some of it has to do with them being very good, but I don't think that we're seeing a historic season out of them. At least the odds don't think so. Yeah. So if this, if this team isn't the juggernaut that it's being made out to be, and the long-term odds are, are reflecting that, but the short-term odds, uh, I'm seeing the Red Sox are plus 250 tonight. Where mine go, my mind goes with something like this is they're bound to lose if not tonight, shortly. So why would I not start progressive betting against them and I get the value and I just keep chasing until they lose? Yeah, we're going to have to get you out of that mindset, Nick. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that the easiest argument against it is I can't speak on a night-to-night basis in someone, or I guess day-to-day because they play today during the day. So much of it has to do with pitching. But I would say that if the long-term odds say they're plus a thousand. Well, the same people are making the short-term odds. Same people are betting the short-term odds, right? So personally, I think that it's, it's kind of this clear thing of like, wait, Vegas isn't overreacting to this. They've moved up. I don't know what their odds were preseason, but they were considered a pretty good team coming into the year. Now they're up to the fifth best odds of winning it all. Night to night, Vegas is already saying they are not this juggernaut. So you fading them is you fading them being the non-juggernaut that Vegas is pricing them to be. And I don't know how profitable that'll be. Like, you know, you don't have more information than Vegas does, particularly when it comes to the Rays, unless you think that the plus a thousand is already an overreaction, which in my non-super knowledgeable seat, doesn't seem like a, you know, a huge overreaction. Yeah, no, I, I see you. I, I tend to be someone who believes in regression to the mean. So I do feel like this team will eventually like, I feel like when betting baseball, teams rarely go on win streaks this long. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think I think the more we talk, I can get out of that mindset. It just it, it feels juicy to see plus two fifty and just keep betting against them till I lose. But I I I trust that it's not the smart thing to do. Well, you know, at least not at least not in my opinion, because it seems to me on a night-to-night basis, if they were the Braves or if they were the Dodgers, they'd be getting priced in to be even bigger favorites each night. That's probably fair, but it's not like, you know, the regression in the mean thing only really works in a huge sample size of, let's say, a thousand. Those, that 12 and 0 is really going to be, and they're supposed to maybe win, let's say, 60% of their games becomes kind of irrelevant and they still end up around 60%. But it's not because they end up going 0-12 and they're next 12. It just means that they go back to being who they were. That's that's the mean, right? And you regress closer and closer towards it as your sample yeah. size gets larger. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, let's give this this wheel another spin. Awesome. I love the wheel. Ooh, the Mavericks. Um they're coming under fire for tanking down the stretch. Uh, they entered play Friday a half a game behind OKC for the final play-in spot in the West. 
If the Mavericks won their last two games while OKC lost its regular season finale to Memphis, Dallas would have overtaken them for 10th and made the postseason, or at least made the play-in. Instead, Dallas sat three healthy starters, Kyrie, Reggie Bullock, and Tim Hardaway, and sat Luka in the fourth quarter. When the Mavericks missed their shot at the buzzer to send it to OT, Mark Cuban was seen smiling on the bench. Now the NBA is investigating. What do you think of this? Yeah, I'm glad that we are diving into this one. It was one of the two that I had sent in, the other being my rec league basketball game tonight. So Ooh. Uh, I guess people I guess people are spared uh, that one since it didn't win. No, no, no. Let's talk to you real quick. What Can can you give me your pro comp? What, what's your game? Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm guessing we've never played. I'm going to guess Rip Hamilton type. No, more of a like I, maybe more like a Tyus Jones type. Definitely a definitely a point Assist guard. Assist to turnover ratio. Probably probably Jack more threes up than he does. But maybe maybe Tyus Jones if he were more aggressive from the three point line. Because I think I'm usually one of those. Tyus Jones with Trey Young's range. I like it. May, yeah, maybe. I, maybe it's too it's too complimentary of myself. But maybe Tyus Jones is just top of mind because we'll we'll get into the points bet thing later. But uh, you know, traditionally, I've been, you know, kind of a three and pass type guy with not a lot of defense. I don't know if Ty Jones plays <laughs> okay, defense. Okay, fair. <laughs> I like the honesty. All right. Sorry to disrupt. The Mavericks, keep going. Yeah, the Mavericks. So, I found this one super interesting. And whether they did the right thing or not, uh, so, uh, and to be clear, Lucas sat after the first quarter. I think they had some kind of like Slovenian night promotion type thing running, and that's why he played the first quarter. But... I think that whether they did the right thing or not ultimately boils down to Luca and what he wanted. Because from a taking a step back as an organization way of looking at it, it was clearly the right thing, right? I mean, you get a top 10 pick if you lose. You don't get a top 10 pick if you win. It was almost as simple as that because their top 10 pick was protected uh, to the Knicks. So... If you can add a top 10 pick, especially, I mean, really at any point, but, you know, especially when, you know, your team might be budgetarily constrained, you know, because they're, they're likely to try and re-sign Kyrie and whatever, like you almost have to take that, especially, you know, if you just do the odds of them winning both their games and OKC losing and them having any success in the play-in and then much less the playoffs versus the odds that your top 10 pick is someone valuable to your team and can help you in the future, it's it's a no-brainer. I think this is similar to what, I, I don't know, I don't think they had like the top 10 protections went whatnot, but I believe MJ's, what, second year, the, the Bulls were kind of restricting how much he played so they could get a better pick. I don't know the exact details of that. I don't remember the last answer that well. But didn't that pick turn into Scottie Pippen and they probably don't win six titles if they don't do that, right? So like, as long as Luca doesn't leave you for it, I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I thought I saw a video. I don't remember Mark Cuban smiling. I thought he was like pretending to be sad or something. But but ultimately, if this turns into a productive player, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that, you know, you want to commend organizations like, let's say, the Miami Heat, who even in the post-LeBron years never really tanked, partially because they had to trade two first-round picks for LeBron for some reason. But, you know, they never really tanked. They were back in the finals not that long. And then, you know, last year they were in the conference finals. So I commend teams that don't tank, but ultimately 
that pick could be really useful to Dallas and the odds of them getting into the play and much less doing anything were so low. You have a better shot of getting Victor Wimbanyama, right? And then this then this will look like the smartest thing in the world. I, I don't know what their exact odds are. It's probably like three, four percent, but that's gotta be better than their chances of winning at all were at that point. And if you get Victor and he turns out to be the guy that he looks like, that could lead to championships for sure, or at least heavy contention for one, right? Yeah, I, I'm I'm confused why everyone's so upset about this, to be honest. I think it probably has to do with the fact that everybody one, the Mavericks were a kind of hot pick coming into the season to make a run, come out of the West, potentially win like multiple rounds, win a championship. I think this is just people being upset that their Mavericks tickets that they thought they'd have a little bit of hope on were all of a sudden completely worthless. And I think it's mainly just because people like Luca so much and want to see him do well. The idea of not seeing him in the playoffs no no one's thinking the long-term benefit of it. You just have a lot of t- talking heads and people on Twitter grumpy about the fact that they're not going to get to see Luca in, in April and June this year. I think a lot of NBA fans are frustrated that so many regular season games nationally televised were kind of taken away from us with guys resting on purpose. Now we have a team with Kyrie and Luca that was the four seed in the West not that long ago. You know, this is a very interesting team to watch, teams that people can envision beating the Nuggets and so on and so forth. And to just see them tank their season and sit guys when they were talking about being competitive, but they were in a place where they weren't mathematically eliminated with two games left. I think just threw kind of wood into the fire of, man, this season has been a bit disappointing with how many games people have missed. We keep getting robbed of these big games. Now we're getting robbed of more big games. We're getting robbed of Kyrie. We're getting robbed of Luka. Like, this league just needs to become more competitive and take all these games and seasons, frankly, more seriously. And I get that. I'm frustrated as well. But if I'm sitting in Mark Cuban's seat, I get it, right? I mean, that top 10 pick could turn into a very valuable piece. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't OKC win that finale anyway? So had the Mavericks won those last two games, all it would have accomplished was gotten rid of their, their pick. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was the smart decision. I think it's taking a step back to take three steps forward. I think teams get criticized for this all the time, for not taking a slow, smart approach, trading as much as they can. You see what happened with Anthony Davis in New Orleans. Uh, they kept trying to win now and make moves and surround him. And time and time again, they sacrificed their future for the present and it just wasn't the right time. I think that they should be applauded for taking a step back right now, not forcing and making sure that Luca's set up well into his prime. Yeah, as long as Luca doesn't leave because of it. But the New Orleans comp is interesting because if I remember correctly, they had like the eighth best odds of getting the first pick. And, you know, it turns into Zion Williamson, who has been disappointing just in terms of games played. But that, that jump to the number one pick is plausible. And if that's Victor Wimanyama, everyone will be applauding them pretty quickly. But anyway, that's enough sports talk. Let's move to today's big thought. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, today's big thought. Points bet is getting crushed on Twitter for voiding the result of a Tyus Jones double-double line they put up on the fifth. So basically what happened here was that points bet had Tyus Jones double-double odds at 16 to 1. 
and the rest of the market points bet claims was closer to three to one. I think most people would claim it was more like five or six to one. But regardless, it was a clear mispricing. Points bet ended up saying that it, they mispriced it due to not including the points component of Tyus Jones line into their double double kind of formula. Whether that's true or not, obviously they messed up the pricing and they correctly claimed that they pulled the line after some time, about nine minutes, and they realized it was a mistake. They pulled the line. Tyus Jones ends up having 13 points and 12 assists. So he hits the double double. And then afterwards, after the tickets turned green, they basically voided it. They wouldn't let people withdraw from their accounts. And people were rightfully outraged by this. For me, you know, I kind of went on a little rant on Twitter and I was obviously quoting the Ravel article. My immediate thought was, well, is there any evidence that, would, that they would have avoided this had it lost? And I've seen overwhelming evidence that they would not have. The main thing being that they didn't void somebody bet Tyus Jones double-double and the Grizzlies to win in that nine minutes. It was clear that their incorrect double-double line was incorporated into that market. And yet they let it, they left it as a loss, and not to mention points bet messes up odds all the time. They agree just mispricing all the time, and when they and they they never avoid it, you know, especially when they lose. So despite what their terms say, and basically they they quoted that their terms say that they can avoid mispriced lines. You can't do it after the game, and you can't pick and choose what you decide to avoid based on whether it won. Because then all of a sudden, you enter into a situation where anytime you bet on points bet, you don't know if it's going to stand or not. You don't know until after the game. And it's probably going to be determined by whether you won or not. So you can't have that sort of adverse selection in your bets. We can have a completely separate discussion on whether it's okay to avoid the bet prior to the game. But to me, the thing that really stood out was doing it afterwards. And we saw this with the Draymond SGP thing with DraftKings and MGM. And, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess I'll just quickly get into what happened there, which was Clay's first game back. Draymond, it was basically announced that he was going to start the game ceremoniously with Clay, but then sit out the rest of the game because it was his rest day or whatever was going on. And everybody pulled their lines for Draymond, rightfully so. It was kept up on DraftKings SGP. So some people basically just SGP'd alt unders to get massive payouts on Draymond's unders because he ended up with the stat line of all zeros and one foul. People won millions of dollars cumulatively off of these books, but it was still paid out because DraftKings had no choice but to pay it out. MGM had no choice but to pay it out. They ended up limiting everyone after. I don't think anyone at points bet when they placed the bet would have been surprised if they got limited after. Like all of that's kind of fair game, except for not paying it. You can't wait till after to say, oh, we're actually not going to pay this to you, even though it's a winning wager, because we have evidence that you would have, and it's just sort of obvious that you would you would have marked it as a loss, and you don't get to have a win-win scenario where the bet either loses or avoids. So I think this is completely inappropriate. I think the this would never happen in another industry, particularly you know my background, you know the financial industry, and this is the whole point of the gaming commission. If you know, the reason why this doesn't happen in other industries, the financial industry especially, is because there are a lot of regulations. You can't just mess with people's money in this way and take advantage of people. I'm sure this was a big point of discussion was the effectiveness of the Gaming Commission when we talked about legalized sports betting. So if not now, when? I mean, you're going to just let points bet get away with this complete mistreatment of their customers? Uh, I think it speaks to sort of 
a bigger issue that the gaming commission very rarely gets involved. But if they don't do it here, like what's to keep people forget? About? I mean, especially at points bet, you're not going to want to bet, but are you going to want to bet anywhere knowing that a sports book could viably get away with? And now the books know that they could viably get away with just voiding your wager next time the Draymond SGP thing happens where you're making these big bets, maybe hedging them, really arbing them, maybe buying Christmas gifts with them after they hit because you didn't check that they actually voided your bet. I mean, the, <laughs> that you, you, you can do, it's just crazy. That you could do all of these things and Sportsbook could just get away with it with no repercussions. So I really hope the gaming commission steps in and sort of cleans this up, sends a real message that you have to treat your customers fairly. You have to be open and honest to them from the beginning and that everybody, I hope they get paid in this case, but I really just hope that points bet gets heavily fined or whatever kind of discipline that the gaming commission could implement. So I, I agree completely. That's how the gaming commission should handle this. Let's, Let's put you in a role. Let's say you are working at PointsBet. Mm-hmm. How would you have handled this properly? Do you think the only way is to pay this out? Or if they had canceled this before the game started and like let everybody know in advance that this would not be paid out, w- would you be okay with that? How would you handle it? Yeah, that's a, that's, a t- that's a tough question. Look, there were times when I was market making, you know, on the PointsBet side, just as it human like sometimes you you show a wrong price and i think that so from where i sat all the time i would you know i mean not all the time i didn't make that many mistakes but but you know there were times when i would reach back out and say well usually the customer would just say hey you might want to double check that like that's not in line with where everyone else is but you know i kind of remember times where i was like oh sorry i had you know, this into my, you know, pricing sheet, clearly this is wrong. Here's the fair price. You know, I won't take any big or anything. So for me, I can sort of, I don't want to say sympathize with, with the book in this case, because in some respects, like it is on you to have fair pricing, but I would understand if they sort of reached back out and said, Hey, this is, do you want to keep this bet? Here's where it really should properly be priced or it should be voided. I do think that that becomes a slippery slope. This is a different animal than, you know, a financial security type trade where these things are moving, right? Like John Morant getting ruled out completely changes Tyus Jones double double odds. Like let's say that was a factor here and I don't know if it was. You can't your points back can't just go out and say, "Hey, there's information out now. Uh, your price has changed or it's voided." But if there's a very clear adding an extra zero Nothing's changed. It's completely different. I understand opening up a conversation of, you know, the books need to have some sort of protection or they're just going to stop offering a bunch of markets, right? Like if they can't get out of, let's say a first basket, like a book adds an extra zero, if they can't get out of that, there is a conversation to be had that they're just going to stop offering a lot of these markets because they can't police them all properly. So I think that's kind of a nuanced conversation. I see both sides of it. And again, both sides being immediately the second points bet pulls their line that it was wrong and it has to be so stupidly egregiously wrong. Probably, in my opinion, a lot more egregious than this was. Like I'm talking, you know, adding an extra zero or two, not just ah, it's plus 1600 instead of plus 600 because that happens, honestly, especially with these double double lines. So I actually don't think this was egregious enough to have any conversation about. But if we're talking about something stupidly egregious, and again, I don't think the Draymond situation really falls into this category either. Like it has to be a typo, basically, in my opinion, 
where you can open up a conversation of voiding beforehand. I know there are some smaller books that do it and most people don't complain like Betley or something. Um, people were telling me that they, they void a lot of their truly egregious errors right away. And people generally get it. I mean, it's hard for them to offer it without doing that. But that's really sort of the only circumstance where I think that you can open up a conversation avoiding it beforehand. Otherwise, like you got to live with it. Yeah, I would think that the Gaming Commission could easily come up with a set of parameters that that were like, if industry standard is X and you are outside of a certain range from X, then you have the right to void all plays before the game starts so if i agree a jump i think from- they need, i think it needs to happen honestly immediately I, I know i've said the before the game starts is sort of a this is so stupidly obviously wrong but as soon as points bet pulled that market is when that conversation should have started although i still i still don't think this was egregious enough to to, to do it at the time but at least it's a lot more arguable yeah and they should probably offer some free i i bet there'd be a lot less uh uproar on twitter about this if they offered some hefty amounts of free play to those that are losing the value in getting this line so if i'm betting ten dollars on something that should have been plus 300 and it's plus 1600 if they gave me a hundred dollars of free play as annoyed as i'd be i'd probably not make that big a deal and they could kind of they get to yeah i I do i do think that still sets a pretty bad precedent obviously it would help people but to me i just can't get over the picking and choosing that they have i mean again it's a whole deeper conversation on what you'd want to you know what's egregious enough what blah 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 everything that could or should happen before a game starts but this was just so far past that because they waited many hours after you know after they they had realized that they mispriced something, I think they should just suck it up. It was plus sixteen hundred. Other places had it plus six hundred. Like, come on. But if if they had it at just you know, they added two zeros to this, right? And it was plus yeah, a hundred. Uh, it was uh, one hundred sixty thousand. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> then yeah, you can have a conversation about voiding it immediately. You can't just wait to see if it wins and people unloading their bankroll on and just letting them lose. I mean, this guy, I'm staring at a ticket of Tyus Jones, Double Double, and the Grizzlies to win that lost. You would hope that since it's an open market with multiple players, that things like this, the only real way, unless the gaming commission stepped up, that I could see problems like this being solved is just like the market doing what markets do and like them losing a lot of customers because there's less trust and that shows other ga- like gambling companies that if you violate users' trust and pull lines that you think are unfair and don't pay out winners, then obviously your business is not going to be sustainable and you're going to lose significant market share. So like incidents like this hopefully will influence other companies going forward to handle it in a much better way. Yeah. I mean, the negative press is definitely helpful and discouraging. The negative press is there, but I mean, in the gambling world, if you see an arbitrage opportunity and points bet has the worst line on something that you want to bet on, you're not going to not bet on them just because they were piece of shit in this instance. (laughs) Now you might. Yeah, now you have a reason maybe to be careful. There's just no defending this, but I think think we should move on. Uh, I don't want to get too repetitive here. 
So why don't we move on to uh, defend that line? But we'll be right back uh, after this quick break. All right, welcome back in. Um, let's jump in to defend that line. Uh, the only segment in America where books are held accountable for the terrible lines they gave us. I, I feel like we're really coming at the books today. I like it. Um, well, we so haven't even gotten started, man. Uh, let's go. Um, you showed me this on DraftKings the other day, and I think this one is simple enough for even me to understand. But regardless, talk me through this one. Explain to me why it's so absurd. I'll, I'll I'll kind of set the table here. We're looking at first quarter points for a game between the Celtics and Wizards a, a week or so back, and we're seeing various different lines. Y- you explain this one to me. <laughs> okay. So DraftKings has, outside of the SGP, Jason Tatum over 7.5, minus 150, under 7.5, plus 115. And they have Porzingis. Over seven and a half minus seven under over seven and a half minus one thirty under seven and a half minus one hundred five. Then we're looking inside the SGP at Jason Tatum points first quarter overs because they only do one way overs, which you always have to be careful about. And Porzingis first quarter points overs. So Tatum again he, over seven and a half is minus one fifty is sort of the outside of the SGP important part to remember. The ten plus so over nine and a half is minus three twenty. To get to minus 105, you have to go all the way to over 12 and a half, which should be well into the, the plus odds range, like very, very deep into the plus odds range. If, if, if eight plus points is minus 150, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but 13 plus shouldn't be below like plus three, 400. Uh, you know, I understand there's going to be a little bit more big. In inside the SGP, one-way lines, whatever. But this is absolutely egregious to have that at minus 105. And obviously, the 10-plus at minus 320, when the 8-plus outside the SGP is minus 150, is like criminal. What's even worse is for Porzingis, over 7.5, so 8-plus is minus 130 outside the SGP. To get that same minus 130, you have to, you have to do 14-plus, so almost double uh, inside the SGP. So to me, like it's obviously some kind of mistake, but they would accept wagers on this. And that's where I, I have sort of a, an issue with it because there are a lot of people that aren't paying attention to the, you know, 13 plus for Tatum's minus 105 and 14 plus for Porzingis minus 130. And shout out to, to Mr. Marcus on Twitter for identifying this whole thing. But there are a lot of people that are looking at the first quarter lines as sort of a way to juice up their odds. So let's say you wanted to take Porzingis over 28 and a half this game and you're just like, oh, why don't I take the 12 plus, like the, the lowest alt over I can find for his first quarter to, to beef up the odds. And you're not even paying attention to the fact that 12 plus is high. Maybe you think that he's only playing half the game and, you know, it's mostly the first quarter. Who knows with the NBA these days? But there's an inherent trust of the books that most people have that when you see a minus 270 line, it should be minus 270 and it shouldn't be, or it should be, sorry, not minus 270, but it should be. You know, let's say minus 230 fair, minus 200 fair. I mean, somewhere in that range, not plus 300 fair. I mean, this is absolutely egregious. I think these are the kinds of things that should absolutely be regulated. It's price gouging. You shouldn't be allowed to put, you know, to have these kinds of prices, especially on one-way markets. And they either need to switch to two-way markets or 
you know, be held accountable for showing this kind of prices and, and, you know, reoffering them at, at much better prices once the, this kind of thing is found. Um, and it's a good lesson to, to be careful of one way lines, always pay attention to what you're betting, but I cannot defend this line. I just, it's it's indefensible for sure yeah i feel like a large part of my role here is kind of trying to play devil's advocate and like well it kind of makes sense if this or what yeah this one it's tough it it doesn't feel like there's any trust between customer and book here it just feels like they're hoping that people don't really pay attention to what the where this line should actually be, be priced and like Seeing minus three twenty for plus ten plus points in a quarter feels absurd. I mean that that <laughs> that that would correlate with someone whose total points was like over under fifty five and a half. Like it just makes maybe not exactly like the minus three twenty makes it seem that ten plus in the first quarter is a lock. Meaning, like, yeah, yeah. When when it's when it's really unlikely to happen. Yeah, I I don't know if that fifty five and a half was accurate. You gave me a look. I, I don't. <laughs> let's let, let's 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 move on to MythBusters. <laughs> um. All right. Cool. So, if your Twitter mentions are to be believed, I love this one. Jason Tatum is the worst athlete of all time. I've loved learning about this and seeing behind the scenes on some of your spreadsheets and how you do these. It's been fun for me to learn about this from scratch. So explain it to me again. The Celtics are a top two team in the East. Jason Tatum is having his best season yet, averaging 30 points per game. And yet the gambling community genuinely seems to hate this guy. What's going on? Yeah, uh, I love this one too. It's kind of, uh, you know, maybe we've been a little too negative on the show and we still have grinds our gears left. I kind of, you know, I think this is a fun one to sort of, maybe not defend Jason Tatum and his performance and boost, but just sort of take an objective look at his performance and basically the biggest gripe that people have with Jason Tatum and why my Twitter mentions are having you believe that he's the worst athlete of all time is he seems boost with him in it seems to do very poorly. And he seems to be the reason why, you know, quite frankly, and a lot of people think that it's either because FanDuel knows when Tatum's going to have a good game or he's more volatile than most. So they kind of take advantage of that and have him reach, you know, 20 plus points or 25 plus points when his over under is a lot higher than that, because they know it's sort of a binary thing. He's either going to have a great game or he's going to have a bad game. Or they think that maybe a little bit more conspiracy theorist that Fandle pays Tatum to, to, you know, tank some of these boosts. But anyway, we're going to dive into, you know, I kind of dove into actually uh, his performance and boosts and whether this is, is all kind of true or not. So we've had 12 FanDuel boosts that involve Jason Tatum that I've recommended. Those are the only ones I could find. Anything I don't recommend is irrelevant anyway. Tatum is averaging three points less when he's in a boost. Uh, So I think he's averaging 27.75 points when he's in a FanDuel boost and 30.68 points when he's not in a FanDuel boost for the rest of the season. So he does perform a bit worse, but nothing, I mean, in such a small 12 game sample, nothing out of the ordinary, still averaging almost 28 points a game. These FanDuel boosts that involved Tatum went six and six and actually netted up 5.35 units if you bet one unit on each of them. So that's sort of a, okay, myth debunked. If Jason Tatum is in a FanDuel boost, that doesn't mean you should avoid it because if you did avoid him all season, 
it would have cost you 5.35 units. And I only believe in the EV anyway. So even if he had performed much worse in this, or if the boost had performed much worse, I would still say to take the next one. But the myth absolutely debunked that people should have avoided Tatum boosts all year because they didn't go well. They actually went extraordinarily well and outperformed, you know, even expectations, even though he averaged is three points less when he's in a boost. But a lot of that was driven by everyone else in the boost consistently did very well. So in the six boosts that lost, he was the sole reason in four of them. So he cost us four wins this year, four boost wins this year. In those four, so in the four that everyone else did their job and he didn't do his job, he is averaging 16.75 points. So to me, that's the number that's causing all of the sort of vitriol on Twitter and the hate for Tatum is that he's everyone else has just done their job so consistently that we're doing well in these boosts. When he hits his number, he does he easily hits it and he's helpful and he does that relatively often. But he's been so bad in the four instances where we've needed him the most. Well, in the four that he let us down and we needed him because everyone else did their job. He is averaging 16.75 points. That is barely over half of what he averages on the season and four of his worst games of the year. So that's where it all comes from. So I would say that maybe there's an argument to the volatility. I mean, not if you look season long, but he's been very volatile when he's in the boost and he has let us down four times. So what does it mean? Not much. You know, he's disappointed me. I think I tweeted one time that he's disappointed. Uh, I was disappointed in him recently. Uh, But overall, the boost has done very well. He is not notably worse when he's in a Fanduel boost, just you know, just under three points a game worse. But he has had a couple of stinkers, and those have hurt. Yeah, I'd argue those aren't even entirely his fault. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think two of the games of the four where he didn't hold up his end of the bargain, he was playing one of the best defensive teams oh, in the league. I think he was playing the Knicks. Two of those, <laughs> and it's just to be expected that a Boston guy comes to the garden and shrinks a little bit from the pressure. I don't think we can blame him for that. I have no comment on, on this nonsense, but <laughs> it's also, I, I, I actually love the conspiracy theory that he's getting paid by FanDuel. It's just so absurd, but I, I, I do like the idea that he's getting a quick Venmo from FanDuel before he goes out to play the Knicks, just keep it under 25. Yeah, if you believe people, a lot of people are getting paid by FanDuel, myself included. So Cool. So I'll, I'll <laughs> take, uh, send some of that my way. I'm, yeah. I might need it a little more than Jason Tatum does with his contract. But uh, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous that FanDuel would be paying anyone to tank, to tank boost. As you can see from the numbers, pretty much all the myths about Tatum and FanDuel boost is nonsense. Look, they've netted up over five units in just 12 boosts. It's a really strong return uh, in boost that he's in. So if, if they're rigging things, they're not doing a very good job. There you have it. Myth busted. Um, all right. Let's keep it moving. Time for you to let me know what's got you pissed off in the gambling world today. I Let's do a quick grinds my gears. Yeah. Um, obviously, this segment is stolen from Family Guy. And we're just going to talk about random things that, as Nick said, piss me off in the gambling world. So you know what really grinds my gears today is I got sent this video. It's from uh, TFM Bets. I don't know if it's a podcast or YouTube show or something. But basically, you have Book It With Trent, who I admittedly follow and enjoy following. You know, he's kind of known as like the fade god, whatever. He's got kind of a funny bit about 
his bets losing or, you know, his kid not getting Christmas gifts. It's kind of a, it's something I enjoy. I think that most people kind of understand that it's mostly satire and, you know, aren't overly taking it, it, you know, the advice of of generally what he says. He's just letting people know to sort of follow along. And then he's with someone uh, who has a very big following who I actually hadn't really heard of, which is uh, Mikey Overs in the podcast. And this is the person that um, was speaking. And this is what he said about prize picks, who I assume is the sponsor of of the show because I know that they're very involved with Trent. He said that people should be taking two leggers on prize picks instead of, you know, five, six layers. Um, this is not the most egregious thing he said, but I'll quickly debunk it. The Due to the payout structure and kind of the insurance you get with the five or six layers, uh, the kind of break-even odds that you would need on each leg is about minus 119 versus a two-legger, it's minus 137. So all else equal, you are better off taking five to six leg picks. He says you should take two leggers because you have 99% more room for error, or less room for error on the the, the longer odds parlays. Obviously, the ninety nine percent part isn't right, but like whatever, that that's obviously not. Uh, I understand what he's saying. It's all else equal. Yes, it is easier to hit a two leg parlay than a five or six leg parlay. Obviously, then he goes on to say, and this was by far the most egregious part, that you triple your money on the two leggers, and that it's because you triple your money, it is three times what a sports book would pay. So quickly debunking that, you're not three times in your money. I hate when books do this. Foxbet does it all the time, where it says three x your money, but you are you're starting with a hundred dollars. You hit your two leg parlay at plus two hundred, and you walk away with two hundred dollars. You have doubled your money. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but to say that it's somehow three x what a sportsbook would pay you. It is actually way less than a sports would pay you. So instead of plus 200, so instead of if you hit the same exact, so if you hit the two leg parlay on price picks, you get plus 200. If we're assuming these are just 50 50 over under markets and everything's minus 110, you would get plus 264 on a sports book or close to it. I mean, you, on any sort of regular parlay, and sometimes they have a little bit more big, let's say it's plus 250, but you're getting way more than plus 200. So for someone with such a big base to say this non-satirically that you would get triple your payout that you would at a sports book when you would get much less plus 200 versus plus 264 is it really honestly it just grinds my gears like people are going to take that seriously they're only going to take two leg prize picks plays and it's just misinforming yourself and then and then misinforming others so that really grind my gears. I think that I think I could try and defend this one. Yeah. Okay. I think we can make it clear. I, I think we both agree that the ninety nine percent is he's not trying yeah, to put whatever. a real number on it. He's yeah, just yeah, throwing in that. He's just being mm-hmm. facetious. Um, no, I, I agree. That's totally fine. I had no idea because when I saw this, I completely agreed. I know that a two leg parlay is two point six, and if you're getting three x on prize picks you'd be getting 0.4 in value. And a lot of times it shows like for minus 130 odds, you're getting even more than the 0.4. If there's two lines, I know I actually looked at this up. Vucevic mm-hmm. tonight has an over under of 15 and a half points and 10 and a half rebounds, both at minus 130. So if I were to same game parlay those, 10 would win me 19. But on prize picks, if 10 wins me 30, then obviously 
I'm getting $11 of value there. But I had no idea that prize picks, when they show 10 wins you 30, they're including the 10 you wagered. So it's only 10 to win 20. Um, that's news to me. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I'm getting at. If you have such a, you know, he's got 88,000 followers on Twitter, and I'm not really coming at him personally, more just what he said and just sort of the general education of the gambling world where people are looking to these kinds of people and saying, oh, this is real advice. I should be taking two leg parlays on price picks and not on the sports book because I'm going to get paid more. No, you're going to get paid way less unless you are getting very profitable lines basically on price picks unless you know you're you're targeting kind of what you were getting at with the Vucevic saying that he's minus 130 but they still have his over under so it's not really the minus 110 thing um but you'd have to get to like you know more like the minus 150 plus 120 type markets in order to just well i guess it would have to be the minus 137 i was thinking fair odds like the minus 140s and minus 135s to, to get more of the the break even uh on price picks but that's not what he was getting at he was getting at it's triple your payout and somehow that's 3x what a sports book would pay you for a two-leg parlay I don't, I don't know if he thinks that that's somehow plus 100 or minus money but it's just misinforming people grinding my gears i would say one thing you want to be careful with is when you're thinking about so the vucevic example that you gave you said when you parlay his over points and over rebounds it gets you to plus 190 mm-hmm. which is which would still be less but price picks isn't going to let you do that because so two minus one thirty lines should get you, I don't know, like plus two fifteen, roughly. Um, if they're uncorrelated. The reason why you're getting plus one ninety, which actually sounds pretty good, uh, relative to what you had said, uh, is because Vucevic, if he gets more points, he's more likely to get more rebounds. So it's a positively correlated same game parlay. And that's mostly just because what well, you can think of like putbacks and stuff like that, but it's also they're both correlated to minutes. Mm-hmm. So if he gets hurt, if he gets in foul trouble. He's more likely to go double under if the game goes to overtime or he plays a lot. Uh, he's more likely to go double over type thing. So it's, so it's correlated. Price yeah. wouldn't let you parlay those two and get the plus 200. So uh, even in that example, you're still, if you had two minus 130 lines, I think it'd be like plus 215 on a sports book. And yes, you could get price picks at plus 200. And if you t- take that even further where price picks, I don't know if they make mistakes, but they're sort of bound by the the halves and the rounded numbers you can find some profitable plays and you know there are people in my discord who are who you know i hired to be to do well with those kinds of plays but that's not what he was talking about he was he was talking about the whole 3x thing and he was confused himself and he's confusing others and i still don't understand how it's triple what you get paid a sports book <laughs> but on these on these apps notably price picks you are better off with a five or six leg play because that's minus 119 each leg as opposed to the minus 137s and frankly you're better off at a sports book unless you can find advantageous odds or a promo on price picks fair enough so anyway um that's it for our show today uh thank you so much for listening make sure to follow us on all platforms uh because we will be back the pgp promo guy podcast will be back next week and honestly thank you nick i had a lot of fun doing this and like we said at the beginning it's something I'm really excited about continuing doing. And uh, I appreciate you kind of coming on and helping the whole way and making this sort of a reality. Yeah, it's a blast. I'm excited for next Thursday. I'm excited every Friday. This should be coming out uh, early Eastern time. So uh, give us a like and a review and hopefully we'll see you next week.